0: Song of Solomon, and today is the second. And so for the Jews, there was instruction given to their young men that they were not to open this book until they were of the age of 16, that they weren't ready for it yet. And certainly there is much to be spoken in terms of the love here between a man and a woman, that which is to be found rightly And so as we read the book of Song of Solomon, you cannot divorce yourself from that understanding. There is a physical relationship being spoken in many of the words of the book. But there's also an understanding of that spiritual element, that we as the bride of Christ are those that Christ loves and has given himself for, those that he pursues, those that he will save altogether. And so we hear a bit of that this morning as we read from chapter 1, verse 15 through Chapter 2, verse 17, in a word specifically spoken, I would say, to a majority of our young people. And so certainly as we listen to these words, a mindfulness of what faithfulness is to be in our dating relationships, in our engagement, in those days in which we wait and long for marriage, that we would seek to do so in faithfulness and an understanding of the word of the Lord. So let's hear these words together again. Song of Solomon 1. Chapter 1, verse 15, we pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is that, the very inspired, inerrant, infallible word of Almighty God. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past; the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtledove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliffs, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Lord, we ask that as we open your word together, that you would be present among us. We know that you are, and yet we pray by the power of your spirit that you would apply your words to our hearts, that they would be open to receive it, that our hands and feet would be ready to act upon it, and that you would be praised in calling your your people out of darkness into the light of your love, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, romantic love is a beautiful gift of God. In fact, it should, even as we receive it, point in every way to the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. He's held back nothing from us, not even his one and only Son, so that we could be brought in salvation into the deepest, most glorious, love-filled relationship that we could ever hope to know or imagine. Oh, how he loves us. We could repeat it over and over and over again, and it would never stop being amazing. And yet, outside of some of those awkward conversations with our kids as they get older, and some awkward youth group meetings that our children attend, that the brave lead, we really don't talk or speak plainly and honestly about love and relationships. They'll figure it out after all we did. But sometimes that's like saying, well, we want them to drive straight when our relationships were train wrecks and we hope that it's going to be okay. We talk marriage and family. We preach often of those things. But when it comes to romance or dating, relationships, The joys and temptation of romantic love, we say little, and certainly we preach just as little. But after having attended a youth convention, which certainly opens your eyes to the wonder and awkwardness of young people in like and love and all of that, and having officiated a wedding yesterday, looking ahead to, I pray, a few more, Do we have something more to say? Should something be said in more earnest to our children when they are young and as they come into that raging hormonal period of young adulthood, do we have something to say of Christ? Are we willing to speak it? For our children will get a little bit older and they'll find that they're in like with someone. They'll share with you that they have feelings for another. They're going to say, Dad, Mom, I'm I'm wrestling with my desires. I'm wrestling with the truth of God's word. But it isn't just for young people. That even in this congregation, there are those who have had a spouse who has gone to be with the Lord. Those who long for another relationship. Who long to enter into that in faithfulness and in truth. What are we going to speak? To them. And so, after having done this work for a Song of Solomon's sermon for yesterday's wedding, the words that we jumped, read here this morning, jumped out as being important for us to hear. And again, not just those two groups of people, but for us together, so that we can exhort those in relationships to faithfulness, so that we can speak true words to those struggling with what God's word says concerning those relationships. But more so that we as a congregation can be drawn and led to it to the fullest love, to the blessings of the bride of Christ in our bridegroom Jesus. And so we give ourselves to whatever young man does when he picks up a guitar in early teenhood to be able to write those love songs to his beloved. We give ourselves to poetry. And as we hear that this morning, what we find in it is love's beginnings. Here it is, and all of that which is raw and not altogether figured out yet. But we do that in a way that leads us again to speak and live truth together in the blessing of the Savior. So we see in this text this morning three things. We first consider love's witness. That's in verse 1 through 15 through chapter 2, verse 3. We hear then and need to heed love's warning in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 2. And then we give ourselves to love's waiting in the end of the text, verses 8 through 17. But love then becomes a witness. Because love isn't something that just happens. It's something that's communicated. If there is that special guy or that special gal, you can't just stand in proximity to them. You have to say something. And that seems to be a lot of the struggle for a certain generation outside of a text of, or a text message or a, a string of emojis. You need to be able to speak. And more than be able to speak to those you desire to enter into a relationship with, you need to know how to do it, but also have something to say. That there's something about you that is honorable and praiseworthy beyond your charm and good looks. And that's what we hear in verse 15. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Here's the young man, and you're like, maybe heading to that girl at convention saying, hey, lady, your eyes are doves. This is not the way forward for you. But what it's communicating by way of that poetry is that his focus is on her eyes. That the eyes are, as it is said, the gateway to the soul. He mentions nothing else here, not yet, it wouldn't be fitting. But he wants to see her. He wants to know her. That a deep and significant connection is being sought. That the man from the first is saying, I want to have a relationship. Not just to have a fling, not just to hang out or go out or whatever that means. But I want to know you rightly. He desires something more than skin deep. He wants to know the things of her heart. And she responds in the same. Verse 16, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. And so here when we start hearing the things of, oh, ladies aren't led with their eyes. No, she says you're handsome. She sees something that is beautiful in him. But there's more here too. Again, please note, neither is denying that there isn't a physical attraction, but there has to be more than that. And that's where she goes then first in a response. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, the rafters are pine. What she sees is the potential for a fruitful relationship. She sees a future. Here's someone I could see having a family with. Here's someone who could provide for that family. And young men, you think that's weird because you're like, I just said you have nice eyes. Why would she run there? Why is she planning our whole life after I've just given her a compliment? Do you understand her heart? Why would a girl seek to to understand that and know that about you? Because for her to give her heart to you, she needs to know that you're going to be able to care for her. And not just in physical provision, but in the maturity of a relationship. Because dating is a move toward marriage. And so young men, older men, if you're not willing to enter a relationship with that end in view, you shouldn't be entering that kind of relationship. You're not ready. Set the book of Song of Solomon aside for a while. Instead, give yourself to being fully committed to the Lord and then to someone else. You see, she's looking for stability. Men, she's looking for you to be constant. The relationship that she wants to set up with you is something that's going to last, built with beams of cedar and pine. She's not looking for a balsa wood house. She's looking for a home that she can depend on. And she needs that because of the vulnerability she's been created with. Because if she's going to share her heart with you, she needs to be cared for and being built up and encouraged. Guys, we can have a fight at recess, and the next recess we can be best friends again. She's not built that way. And so what she's given to here even is a word of self-deprecation. And so she needs to know, are you going to be able to build me up? Are you going to be able to care for me? Because what does she say in verse 1? And we look at this as being flowery language, no pun intended. But there's that sense of it where she's saying, and again, hear the inflection. I'm a rose of Sharon. I'm a lily of the valley. I'm ordinary. I'm I'm just a common flower. That's what she's saying to him. And many times, even the most beautiful women won't believe that they're all that. Often, all a young woman, and especially today in this day of social media, all she will see is her flaws. And she'll see that especially in comparison to others. Men, how are you going to speak into that? How are you going to care for her in that? Again, she's saying, I'm ordinary. My looks are plain and common at best. But men, flowers are always beautiful. Each may be different, but she's beautiful nonetheless. She has just spoken to you and given witness of something that isn't true. So now speak into that in a way of value and care, of encouragement for her, To see just how beautiful she is. Verse 2, a lily among brambles, so is my love among young women. And it isn't just a flattering word. He's not just trying to charm her, he's affirming her beauty specifically. But more his choosing and love for her. You are beautiful to me. And that's enough. He doesn't want her to settle for that comparison because she's the most beautiful to him. And so ladies, if a man can't speak to you like that, if he can't speak into your insecurities, if he can't live that way before you, even in your moments of insecurity, hear this plainly, you deserve better. Don't settle for less. For it's a comment that moves the woman to praise the man giving witness of her love. Verse 3, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. In comparison to others, she gives testimony that he too is all she sees. There's commitment being made that he's the only one she wants to be near. She values the fact that he isn't just another tree of the forest, but he's a productive one. That his works are not only praiseworthy, but that they're an encouragement to her. Those things, too, need to be spoken. Because typically, young men, what do you start talking about but the attractiveness of the lady? And here are ladies talking, saying, isn't there a guy who can be a real man? Who can speak to me in that way? Who gives his life to more than just the futile pursuits of video games and whatever other frivolity of the day? Is he serious about life? Is he serious about me? Here in God's word, he's saying, This is a better way. She speaks it, and so speak these things. Those kinds of conversations early in a relationship are important. But this commentary also speaks of needing to be mature enough to enter that relationship rightly, to know what is valuable and important. It's known in the witness. And so hear this again, each expression of love here given is equal, but they're not directed at the same thing. They both find each other attractive, but what is emphasized by each of them, the man looks deeply in the woman to see her beauty and praise her for it. The woman sees the productivity and goodness of the man exercised and praises him for it. There is sweetness to be had in such a relationship. So do we regularly praise those that we love? And again, for you men who have been married a long time, don't just assume that she knows. Do we speak it? Are we regularly praising those we love by edifying and building them up? Because the text also speaks to us as the bride of the bridegroom Christ. And he never forgets to speak this way to us. He speaks his love and his choosing. He desires us even as we are able to see our flaws, our sin and brokenness. We see the ways in which we don't deserve a relationship with him. But because he's forever faithful, having done all things for us in our salvation, we know that that relationship is deep. We know that he cares for us, that our relationship is firm and fixed in him, and that he will always care for us. So are we quick to praise our groom? thanking him for all that he has done for us in all the ways that he loves us? Do we regularly praise the Lord for his glory, his beauty, his splendor, his presence, his blessing? Is he to be more desired by you than anything? So then the text moves to the next phase of relationship and brings the poetry then into an account of love's warning, and that in the second place, because Even to say that word and to put that sermon point in the bulletin, that seems a little bit weird. Why would love, something so awesome and so good, why does it need to come with a warning label? Because love is powerful, incredibly powerful. Emotions and feelings are beyond strong, and they can lead us to decisions we wouldn't ordinarily make, decisions that can have huge implication and consequences for our lives. And so the warning from the very start is that love shouldn't be taken up lightly. And yet relationships that are done well are a blessing. But if you're going to be careless or think that those relationships aren't such a big deal, or what does it matter how many women that I date, we can bring about tremendous hurt and pain. That if we're going to take up relationships in immaturity or before we're truly ready, we can wound other people. But that warning shouldn't keep us from them. It gives us pause. No differently than I'm thankful that there's power in the outlets, but I'm not going to stick a fork in there. I need to come rightly. I need to use it rightly. And so we view them and enter them with gravity and respect, preparing our hearts if we're to give them away. We have to enter relationships with a keen grasp of who we are, but more of who God calls us to be in his word. We need to know who we need to be in reliance upon the power of the Spirit. And so hear this clearly, especially you young people. If you're not prepared in that way, if you don't have standards and boundaries in place, love and attraction are dangerous things. That's what this poetry makes plain. Our text describes a moment where the two, using the terminology of our day, are on a date. They're out together romantically, and there's a clear purpose to their togetherness. Verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. They've gone out to dinner, literally to a house of wine, a place where they could be near each other, where the sweetness of physical affection could be enjoyed. But there's also security expressed in the moment. His banner over her is love. A standard has been made plain about the exclusivity of their relationship. Everyone knows they're together. Everyone knows the commitment they've made to each other. There's no doubt in the language that this is what we would consider in our day to be engagement. And she finds security in that. Why? Does that ring matter? It does. Those of you who are engaged, there is something of the wonder of what that is, the overwhelming bit that we are together. There is something deeper here. She is safe within the relationship. She finds herself comfortable and at ease. She's drawn by him and desires to be brought closer. She is, as one commentator writes, lovesick, woozy with love. Sustain me, verse 5, with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. Not sick of love, sick with it. And when you're not feeling just right, you're a little bit off, and there are all those floaty feelings, like you're walking on cloud nine, there isn't always that rootedness in reality, in what is truth. In those things that you know to be true, but now all of a sudden in the music and the candlelight and all of that, there's something different. She's weak in the knees and she needs help. She's overwhelmed and exhausted by love. But these verses also speak then of that which comes by way of a physical dimension of a relationship. Because she desires him and he pursues her. Here she's saying, this is okay, and the guy's like, yeah, let's go. But there's danger in that. That's what the word makes plain. And so men, there is a great need for you to understand this. To be clear in expressing your faithfulness to God in your intentions and boundaries towards that young woman. Don't leave that to her. Don't allow that lady to be the standard of your relationship, to be the one who has to say no. Because to put that all on her is you not being the spiritual head that you are called to be. And what she's saying is, I need help in this moment. Not that he is taking advantage of her, but she's going to follow your lead especially if you've pledged to be faithful to her. Here is your moment to lead her and sustain her in faithfulness. Recognize that that physical dimension of a relationship is going to affect her differently than it will affect you. And she's expressing that. Verse 6, his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. There is an enjoyment of physical intimacy which for all the joy and excitement such an advance of relationship can bring, it brings about a danger, and it's this, of making your relationship only about that. And if you talk to enough of your parents, honestly, very rarely, no, let's scratch that, you will never hear them say, I am so disappointed that I held myself back from physical intimacy. You will never hear that. You will always hear, we went too far. We did too much. We needed to seek forgiveness. We can move too far and too fast, becoming fixated on that physical nearness without considering the word and way of the Lord. So let his word be a warning to you today. Again, whether you're young and entering relationships for the first time, Or you're seeking a relationship in your later years because you need to be concerned about purity and godliness too. The temptation to move beyond what's appropriate is very strong and real. And Satan is crafty. Oh, it's okay. Oh, we know the line. Oh, this isn't fuzzy at all. Those are lies of the evil one. And it's compounded when you feel safe in relationship. Perhaps even in engagement, when you know you're going to be together. And you begin asking if going too far matters. We're going to get married anyway. It matters because God has established boundaries in his word about what is appropriate and good and blessed only within a marriage context. Stolen watermelon is sweet only for a couple of seconds. And then you realize your sin and guilt and it is no longer good. Wait. The more of those enjoyments and embraces you engage in will bring endless temptation for more because when you begin, you start a clock. And as those moments tick by, that temptation becomes more intense. And if you don't believe that, consider just how many people fall into sin before their wedding day. So young people, heed the warning of the word. Draw near to the one that you are in like with, that you love, that you are engaged with in integrity and friendship. If you desire physical affection, let hand-holding be glorious for as long as it can be. Don't be found in situations like this banqueting house when you're alone without accountability. For in those moments, that temptation will be all the more real. And it leads the bride to speak wisdom, doesn't it? Verse 7, I adjure you, I implore you, I plead with you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and does of the field, that you do not stir up love or awaken it until it pleases. And yet hear it plainly. And I know what you're saying already. Hey, pastor, of all the sermons you're preaching, is this a do as I say, not as I did? And I've confessed my guilt to a number of you. And so this isn't my saying this lightly or as being a curmudgeon dad. But hear God's word plainly. There is a right time to enjoy such things that are a blessing given by God, and they are that. It is good and a gift from the Lord. But don't mess around with love, its actions or emotions. Right time, right place. In the now, be fa- in the always. Be faithful to the Lord. Because here in our text, this phrase at this point in the the poetry, by the gazelles and does of the field, by way of its sound, is a veiled reference to the Lord's covenant name. You'll notice in the book of Song of Solomon that that name is never fully referenced or directly referenced. But it serves as a reminder in its warning. The Lord has given the gift of love and the Lord sees and knows all things. So don't forsake his warning and give yourself into actions you'll regret that you'll carry even though you leave their guilt at the cross. Wait for love to blossom and bloom in its time. And in the meanwhile, find more enjoyment and blessing in being near to God. In a relationship of love that is for always, finding your greatest contentedness and blessing and joy and excitement in communion with him. Let his love fill you. Let that be what you desire more and more. And that will bring a greater ability to love well and care well and serve others well in obedience. So hear it again. Find your greatest joy and love in the wonderful embrace and love of Jesus. And in the relationships which lead to marriage, He love's warning And give yourself to love's waiting and that in the last place. Because that's, this could be really the hardest part of what I'm saying. Because none of us likes to wait. None of us wants to wait. You talk to that engaged couple, none of them wants to wait for their wedding day. Let's go, right? It's true. We long for that. And especially for young people, the hardest part of a romantic relationship is waiting because you're not in a position to move forward in them. That's why we urge you so often to put those things into the future. You're still in school. You're not an adult age. You're not mature enough for the next step. It's why heeding the warning is so important, but also why embracing more fully that relationship to Christ by way of his word and spirit is so important. If you can't find your greatest satisfaction in that relationship, hear this plainly, if you cannot find your greatest satisfaction in that relationship, no relationship with a guy or a gal will ever bring the joy and blessing you desire. It's always going to fall short. That relationship is of first importance. You will always be disappointed and never have the things you're looking for if you're not looking for him. But when you find your love and joy and fulfillment in Christ, your earthly relationships take a a different role. They'll take that role of leading you nearer to God in love for him. And in this last bit of poetry, the engagement, as it were, is fully known. There's a desire for the two of them to be brought together in the fullness of marriage, in a fulsome consummation in all that that means in terms of that relationship. But it's not quite time. There's a great desire for it, one made known by the future bride's response simply to the sound of her beloved's voice. Chapter 2, verse 8, The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Not only is she thrilled in just hearing him and noticing his approach, but do you hear the language? The way she speaks is like someone speaking about Superman or some of the Avengers. Like, he's going to come to me. Nothing's going to get in his way. He clears buildings with a single bound. It speaks of his desire for her. Nothing's going to stand in the way of our coming together. Nothing's going to get in the way of the marriage we've promised to enter into. But right now, something is in the way. And that's the nuance of the language spoken here. Something's in the way. Something's preventing their marriage. We don't know what it is, but it keeps them from each other. And so here is this language, not of someone standing out a window in some creeper kind of way, but here's what's between us. We can't be right next to each other. There's a boundary Behold, there stands behind our he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. He calls out to her, My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my beautiful one, come away. And so now it's interesting because it is her that is retelling the account. She's making her commitment to him plain. I belong to you, you are my love. He doesn't want anything to come between them or be between them. He desires that they be together. He's stating that the time is right. And he does it in the poetry of spring, in the language of love. Here you go, young men. Here's the the thing you're going to write on the card, right? For behold, winter is past, The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. If you remember, older Tiger fans, these are the words that Ernie Harwell would speak every year before the first spring training game. That love for baseball and come again to the spring and come again to the field, right? Called once more to be joined to the beauty of that, which is baseball. How much more powerful and beautiful when we consider what the man is speaking to this woman. There is something beautiful in this moment that we have together that is to be savored. The fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Now is the time, my love. We're ready. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, referencing the beginning of the relationship. I haven't forgotten all of it. In the clefts of the rocks, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let nothing come between us, for your voice is sweet And your face is lovely. He is all in. He is all ready. But it's the bride that says, hold up. We got to wait a minute. The bride recognizes that there's still that which prevents their being together right now. She's confessing. Yes, we're ready physically to be brought together. That ordinarily the time would be right. But there's a danger that I see. There's a danger to the scene as he spoke in it. It's in verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. That the fox would go through the vineyard and eat all that was there and would destroy it. And we don't know exactly what those threats were, but she sees it. There is something ready to attack our relationship. There is something that is not going to allow us to come together fully in this union together. That there's certainly an understanding of growth and sanctification that seems to be pointed at. A need to clean up their yard, as it were. To continue to grow in grace and deal with sin. So that their coming together would be that which was lastingly beautiful. And so it's a reminder to us that even in getting married, here are two flawed people that come together. Here are two people that will be the primary ancient agent of sanctification for each other. And so in heading into a relationship that is already so incredibly difficult, if there is sin still remaining, it needs to be confessed. It needs to be dealt with. If it's sin between the two, it needs to be taken care of. And in that way, true love can wait, always waits, always waits for those kinds of things because true love always delights in holiness, in putting sin to death, in guarding your relationship from threats within and without so that your marriage can be in every way what the Lord desires it to be. And so while the time is not exactly right, she says, I'll wait, I'll wait for you. I profess my commitment to a relationship of mutual love and adoration. For my beloved is mine, and I am his, and he grazes among the lilies. I know that I am beautiful to you, but we can wait. I'm yours alone in your mind. We can wait. We don't have to be given to sin. We can wait. And certainly that speaks a word to you, those of you who are engaged about what takes place before your marriage, you wait. Does it matter? It matters because God calls you to faithfulness. But if there is other sin that needs to be dealt with, your marriage can wait. Come before the Lord. Give your heart fully to him. For it will make your coming together all the more wonderful and glorious in the day the bride longs for. Because the bride wants their relationship to be consummated. She wants them to be brought together fully. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. Turn again to the Lord, but turn again to me. Come again like as gazelle or young stag on cleft mountains. It's her call to wait well too. It's a call to wait on the Lord's timing. Even when your hormones are screaming and your mind tells you that you're ready, wait patiently. For those of you who long for that kind of relationship, wait patiently on the Lord. He'll provide for you in his time and in his way. And for us as the bride of Christ, we long for our relationship with him to be fully consummated. We look for that day where he will return to us and nothing will stand in his way and he will come and have us to be with him forever. We long for that day. But we know in our own hearts and our own lives that there's still sin that needs to be defeated. Christ has declared victory. Satan will be put under his feet. We know that day is coming. But we're not there yet. And so we wait on the Lord. We know, Father, you and your Son are preparing us for that day. You are using this time to destroy the foxes that would keep us from full fellowship with you. And when Satan and all sin are put under his feet, and when the last enemy to be destroyed, his death, is fully destroyed, we will be brought together with him into the most blessed union and communion with our eternal Bridegroom, Jesus. We long for it. It's worth Waiting for, waiting upon him for, one who will always love us, who will be with us forever, who will let nothing stand in the way of having us completely. So wait on the Lord. Heed the poetry of the word of the Lord and wait for him. Wait upon him, be strong and take good courage as you give testimony, even in a world that is confused about what love is. Speak it, this is what love is. Heed the warning of love and as you wait for it in full, rejoice that the most glorious and blessed love that you know is that which you are filled up in, in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the comfort of your word. Father, of this poetry that we have read this morning. And Lord, we recognize as parents we can be awkward in speaking this way to our children. Father, open our mouths to speak truth to them. May our young people, Father, be honest with us. May their hearts be open. And Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we know our own struggles as young people. We don't forget these things. And so help us to be able to exhort each other and encourage each other, admonish each other, but also restore each other, Father, into a right understanding of what you have prepared for us in your Son. And so, Lord, we pray in our physical relationships that you would call us to faithfulness. Father, in our marriage relationships that we would evermore know faithfulness and love. Father, in longing for that special someone, provided in your will and way, may our contentedness be found in you. And Father, as those who wait upon your Son, longing for that last marriage day, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and the full enjoyment of every one of those blessings prepared for us, Father, we pray, continue to destroy sin, besetting sin in us, that we would follow after you in the grace that you provide. And so, Lord, we ask build up your church, make that bride beautiful as we submit to you and to your word. And so, Father, as we give our gifts, we do so enjoy this morning. We're thankful for our brothers and sisters, the saints at Westside URC, uh, soon to be renamed in Cincinnati, for they're no longer on the West Side. but we thank you for their provision for them, for a building, and yet, Father, for the repairs that need to take place, for the witness that needs to be given in that city. We pray for Reverend Wise, for his interns, Father, for all of of those who are involved in that church, would you encourage them by our gifts and continue, Father, to provide for the proclamation of your word. Father, hear our prayer. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to praise the Lord in our